Good morning, Oakwood. Glad that you're here for part two of our series today called Uncensored Truth. And uh, last week we talked about God, today we're going to be talking about Jesus. Next week we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and then after that the Bible, the church, and uh, angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. So uh, just uh, appreciate you being here, and what a great time to worship our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ this morning to uh, experience what we get to experience and worship every week. It's just an awesome privilege and uh, pleasure, really, to uh, be able to do that together. And it's just a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like someday when we're just focused on the Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, as we're talking about Jesus today, um, one of the things that we're going to learn together is that Jesus had a tendency to be divisive sometimes. They had to figure out what side of Jesus you were on. And, and to begin this morning, I just wanted to plant some seeds of things that divide us as people. We all have our own opinions, right? It's like either you like Mexican food or you don't like Mexican food. You know, you either like seafood and crustaceans and that stuff, or you don't like seafood. And so we all have our opinions and stuff. So I thought to, to kind of get us thinking in that direction this morning, I would just put some things up on the screen uh, that tend to divide us like this, this first character here. Um, did anyone watch the ESPYs? Did anybody see the ESPYs this week? Did anybody watch when they roasted Kevin Durant? It was Peyton Manning of all people. It was awesome. You need to Google that, uh, download it. It's was, it was worth it just to watch that 30 seconds of that. But, you know, divide, I mean, do you, do you love him? Do you hate him? I mean, you know, it, it's, it's divisive. What about this next one? This is one of those that, you know, the New York Yankees, you either like them or you don't like them. You know, it, there, there seems like there's no middle ground there. Very, very divisive. And then some people are this next one. Some people are Microsoft people. You say, oh, yeah, I'm a Windows person, right? And then some of you are this next one. Some of you are Apple people. You know, and that tends to be really divisive. You're on one side or you're on the other side of that deal. What about the next one here? What you like to drink? Do you like Coke? Are you a Coke person or are you this next one? Are you a Pepsi person, right? I mean, it tends to divide us. And then there's other, you know, other things that divide us, like other sports teams, like this one, the L.A. Lakers. You either love them or hate them, right? What about this next one? America's team, right? Dallas Cowboys. You know, you either love them or you hate them. There's no, there's no middle ground here. And then you get into like state schools like this. You know, there's only, I'm, I'm sorry, I just have to say this. The blood of Jesus is only one color, okay? I know they talk about bleeding orange. I've never seen it. But, but then there's some of the people like, you know. Yeah. That was about like first service, about three of you like that team. Um, and then, and then the, this is one that's not divisive at all because it's my team. The Kansas State Chiefs, there's no haters there, um, unless you're Broncos, but then you're just misled. You know, it's like being orange all over again. So, um, but, you know, these things can divide us. We have our own opinions, and, and, and we formulate these things, and we see these things. And the thing that's really hard, and we don't even really like to think about it this way sometimes, is Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus was such a figure. He had a tendency to divide people. He did that way back in the Bible we read in the first century, and he still has a tendency to divide us today. And if you think about it this morning, he has a tendency to divide us even into eternal life. Jesus divides us. Those who place their faith in him and call upon him as Savior and Lord and have a relationship with him go to heaven. And those who do not call him Savior and Lord and do not have a relationship with him, they go to hell. And we don't like to think of Jesus as being this way, this one that divides us, but really, we have a question we have to answer today. And this question was something that was posed 
to the disciples. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. So if you go to the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verse 18. And what's interesting here is uh, Jesus was uh, by himself to pray, and it's, it's kind of interesting because the scriptures say, and then the disciples were there. So the disciples were uh, following after Jesus, and Jesus just in this moment asked them this really, really potent question. And, and this question has, I mean, this question echoes into eternity. And it's something that the disciples were asked to answer, but we have to answer it ourselves as well. Luke chapter 9, we're going to be beginning there with verse 18. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. This is what it says. Now it happened that as he was praying, that's Jesus, as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. So he was alone, and now the disciples came upon him while he was praying. He says, and then he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Now notice, he's going to actually ask them two questions here, and this is the first one. Who do the crowds say that I am? You're my disciples. You're my closest followers. You're the ones I've taught the most. You're the ones that I've poured into the most. But who do the crowds say that I am? Now Jesus says this because this is a time where Jesus was getting more popular in his ministry. More and more people were following him. Crowds were following him. He spoke as no one had ever spoke before. They were kind of enamored with his speaking ability, uh, with the way that he perplexed them with what he said. He seemed a little bit rebellious. He might push back on the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious establishment. He might push back on them a little bit. You know, you might see a miracle. I mean, I heard he turned water into wine at somebody's wedding. And, you know, you, you, you might, he, might, he might feed some people a free lunch. I mean, you just got you to gotta come see this guy. The crowds were following him, and he says, who do the crowds say that I am? And in verse 19, it says, and they answered, John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, who was a, a cousin to Jesus, John had come before him and was preparing the way. And, G, and John the Baptist was actually pointing people to Jesus. But then people thought, well, well, this is, he's just like John the Baptist. He's John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. That Jesus was like a prophet of old. All these ones that they had heard about from the Old Testament, all of the, the prophets, it's like, this guy's a prophet of old. And then in verse 20, it says, And then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Not the crowds. Not what's popular. Not the rhetoric. Who, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ, the Christ of God. You see, true Christians, true followers of Jesus are not confused about who Jesus is. If you would call yourself that this morning, you say, hey, I'm a real Christian, I'm a real disciple of Jesus Christ, I'm a real true follower of him, then you should not be confused about who Jesus is. If you call yourself a true Christian, then you would believe that Jesus actually was born of a virgin. Miraculous birth. Miraculous conception. He was actually born of a virgin. You would believe that he lived a perfect life and that he never sinned. That's the truth of the Bible. That's what the truth tells us. You would believe that he was crucified. That he was crucified with the purpose of saving us. You would believe that he was fully man when he was on the earth. He was 100% man. But you would also believe that he was fully God, 100% God. That he was fully human at that time, but he was also fully divine. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And so in your mind, you would associate God the Father and God the Son together. 
And you would also know that God loved you so much that he sent Jesus. That's the reason that he came. His only son. And the reason was to save us and to restore that relationship back to the heavenly father. And you would know this and you would say, I'm a true Christian. I'm not confused about any of these facts. I'm not confused about who Jesus is. But sometimes we get on these paths that are well-intentioned. We think we're moving the right direction, but we haven't really solidified our beliefs. Even King Solomon noted that many times in his writings, that a man can sincerely believe that he's on the right road, but sometimes it takes us to the wrong place or the bad place. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, it writes, The way of a fool seems right to him. But a wise man listens to advice. In Proverbs 14, 12, just a couple chapters later, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. You see, sincerity alone can't keep you from a bad place if you're not going down the right path. You can sincerely be following in the wrong direction, which really begs the question this morning, why would anyone want to have that kind of approach to getting to heaven? Because here's the truth. Jesus made it very, very clear to us how that is possible. It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 6. It'll be on the screen for you. Jesus said to him this, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. This is where Jesus reveals himself even more to the disciples in John's gospel, because he's, he's saying, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father. No one can restore that relationship except through me. In John 14, 6, the word that Jesus uses there for the word way, it means a road, a path, a direction. And so Jesus is telling us that he is the only road, the path, the direction. He is the only way. He is the way to get to God. But in that time, Jesus is actually revealing to us so much more. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. Jesus is this. I'm going to share five things. Jesus is, number one, he is the way to a better life. Jesus is the way to a better life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, Jesus says it this way. He says, the thief, that would be the devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his mission in life, is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his victory. Then Jesus says, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If I were to ask you this morning, do you want a bad life or a good life? I think everybody's being honest here, not trying to be silly. It would say, I want a good life. How many of you here this morning would, would say, I want a, a poor life, I want a lousy life, or I want an abundant life? Most of us would say, if we're being honest, I want abundant life. I want a good life. I don't want a bad life. I don't want a lousy life. I want the good life. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and that life. And that you can have it in me more abundantly. It is not surprising to me that I find that some of the happiest people I've ever met in my entire life are mature Christians. They're the most contented people in the world. Christians are most satisfied because they live their life completely committed to Jesus Christ. And they know in their mind, Jesus is the way. He's the way, he's the way, he's the way. When I'm making this decision in my work, Jesus is going to be the way. If I want success in my life, Jesus is going to be the way. When I don't know what to do with my kids, Jesus is going to be the way. I should follow his will. I should follow his ways because Jesus proclaimed himself, I am the 
way. And a lot of people will realize that when we find out that Jesus is the way, there's a freedom. There's a freedom that's found there and only in Christ Jesus. There's a freedom from guilt. There's a freedom from sin. There's a freedom from negativity. There's, there's this freedom to live in positive light in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is truly the only way to a good life, to a better life. You know, I know that with all that's going on in the world today and the, the desperation of so many people seeking seeking something to fulfill them in life and they put all of these things in worldliness and materialism and drugs and alcohol and maybe even sex and relationships and all of this stuff to try to fulfill themselves. They need to hear this uncensored truth that Jesus is the way to a better life. The second thing that Jesus is is he is the way to forgiveness of sins. He is the way to forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the way and the only solution to a very serious problem that faces every human being born, and that's sin. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you would understand and you would agree with me that all of us are sinners. Sin is not without its consequences either, is it? You have, may have felt its sting in your life. If you look around you, if you look at your, curtain, your current circumstances, if you look at your family, if you look at your friends, you can see that some consequences of sin may have left you, but there are still some painful situations and some anguish there. Maybe someone you love is in less than desirable circumstances and consequences and situations because of sinful choices that they have made in their life. Now here's, here's the truth this morning. Unless our sin problem is resolved while we are still alive here on earth, while you are still in this body, if you do not resolve your sin problem, the ultimate consequence and the end result is that you will spend eternity in hell and you will be separated from God forever. In Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite passages in the Bible that just explains uh, life before Christ, life after Christ, life in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 um, begins there, and the Apostle Paul is speaking, and he said, hey, we were dead in our trans transgressions and sins. We were dead with the trespasses, and we were going the way of the world. And then he gets down here to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, and it says this. It says, but God... Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, even while we were still sinners, he made us alive together with Christ, for it is by grace that you have been saved. I want you to know with a surety this morning that if you want your sins to be forgiven, then Jesus is the only way to forgiveness of sins. The other thing is that Jesus is the way to God. If you want to have a close relationship with your heavenly father, you can only do that through Jesus Christ. Jesus' whole purpose in coming into the world was to reconcile that relationship between man and God the Father. God wants a relationship with each one of us. We are his kids. We are his creation. He wants a relationship that is both real and personal with us. And the only way that's possible is through a, a relationship with Jesus Christ to get back to, and get right with God. You, he was the sacrifice for our sins. He took on our punishment on the cross to reconcile ourselves to God the Father. You see, from the beginning, in the Garden of Eden and back with Adam and Eve, there was a rule that God had. 
And the rule is this, when there is sin, there will be pain. When there is sin, there will be sacrifice. Where there is sin, something has to die. Now, if you know your Bible and you've read it at all, maybe you've gone all the way back to the beginning, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and beyond, you see that the Israelites, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, they had a whole sacrificial system that was set up for them. And in this sacrificial system, what they did is they sacrificed animals for their sin. If you do a study on this, it is just absolutely amazing. I love watching Jewish historians talk about what was happening in Passover, what was happening in the Feast of Tabernacles, and all of the different ceremonies and celebrations of the Jewish calendar. But one of the most painful sacrifices was when a family would bring an animal to come and sacrifice it on an altar, and it represented their sins. In fact, the high priest would lay its hands on the animal and say a prayer, and it was symbolic of all of the sins that that family had committed during the year would be cast into this perfect, innocent little animal. And they would sacrifice, they would take that animal's life, and the blood would pour on the altar, and it was to be symbolic, but to also be a visual and an emotional representation of when you sin, there's a consequence. When you sin, something has to die. What you may not know is those animals that they sacrificed, many times they were lambs. They were little lambs, and the way that they took care of them was kind of like we would with a pet today. Maybe some of you are dog people, maybe some of you are cat people, but you have a pet and you're fond of the pet. Can you imagine that you live with the pet, you love the pet, this pet eats the scraps from your table, you teach it to do tricks, you hang out, you send it out in the yard, it plays with your kids. This is what they were doing with these little lambs. This was the family pet, and they loved the lamb, and the kids would sleep with the lamb, and they would cuddle with the lamb. And then you'd have to take that lamb, you'd have to take it and lay it on the altar, and the high priest would come, and it would slit its throat, and the blood would pour, and it was because... God wanted us to feel what needed to happen for our sins. And they did that all through the Old Testament until Jesus came. Until Jesus came. And then he died, and and the Bible says that he was our sacrifice once and for all. That our sins can be forgiven only because Jesus died on the cross and became the sacrifice. That's why you hear reference to him uh, when he died, the, the blood of the lamb, and we sing songs about the lamb of God. That was God's lamb that he set before us and allowed him to be tortured and crucified and hung on a cross, and he died completely. He did it because of our sins. It's the only way that we can be forgiven. But he didn't stay dead. He also rose again. He's the way to God. He's the only way to God. Another thing about Jesus is that Jesus is the way out of religious confusion. I see that so much today, just religious confusion. I'm confused about who God is. I'm confused about the Bible. I'm confused about all of these things. I want you to note that in John 14, 6, Jesus didn't say, I show the way. He said, I am the way. Notice also that he didn't say, I am a way, I am a path to God. He said, I am the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Heavenly Father except through Jesus Christ. We need to hear that today as uncensored and unfiltered truth. He is the only way. And there's no doubt that Jesus was declaring himself to be a part of a triune God. 
And the disciples, as you read the book of Acts, they have no qualms about telling people who worship other gods, who have other religious beliefs, to convert to the way of Jesus. It's because they knew in their hearts that Jesus was not a way. Jesus was the only way to reconcile back to the Heavenly Father. And all of the other religions and all the other religious beliefs and people in the world lead you away from Jesus Christ. And if they do that, then that means that you're going to hell. In period, it's uncensored truth. There are many other religions. And sadly, maybe even some Christians today that are confused about who Jesus is. And they're confused and they, they, want, they want to muddy the water a little bit about, is Jesus really the only way? But we read in Scripture that he said, he declared himself the only way to salvation. I want to read just a few, just quick little uh, snippets of Scripture from the book of Acts. And what's interesting is, here is they're talking about the way. They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about Christianity. They're talking about their faith. And there's something I want to bring together, a common, commonality between all these scriptures that we're going to read here at the end. So just follow along with me. Uh, they'll be on the screens for you. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, but Saul, and you have to understand that Saul was the apostle Paul before he converted to Christianity. And he was a persecutor of Christians because he was just a sectarian Jew. And, and he wanted to just annihilate any of the way people, any of the Jesus people. And so he was going after them. He was hunting them down. This is the same person. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem to persecute them and maybe even to murder them. In Acts chapter 19, this is interesting. It says, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly. Do you know who he is there? It's Saul. that We read about in chapter 9. He's now converted to Jesus Christ. He's now come to faith and belief in him. And now he's turned from a, a Jesus and a Christian persecutor to a Jesus and a Christian lover and a builder of the kingdom of God. And it says that he entered the synagogue and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some become, became stubborn and continued in their unbelief, Speaking evil of the way, before the congregation, he withdrew from them, and he took the disciples with him. In Acts chapter 19, verse 23, just a few verses later, it's talking about the idol, um, the idol industry. Uh, it was a huge economic industry, and it was being ruined, and they were, had lots of feelings about that. And in Acts 19, 23, it says, about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning what? The way. In Acts 22, verses 4 and 5, this is what it said. This is the Apostle Paul here giving his testimony. He said, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of the elders can bear me witness. Just a couple chapters later in Acts 24, he's on trial before Felix. And in Acts 24, 14, he says, but this I confess to you, that according to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. And just a little bit later, a few verses later in Acts 24, 22, it says, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of what? The way. He put them off saying, when Lysias, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. And what he was doing there is he didn't want to make the decision of what to do with Paul. 
Do I keep him in prison? Do I kill him? Do I torture him? What do I do with him? And he was about to leave office, and, and he knew of the way. He knew enough of the way that it was a scary thing. And he's like, I don't think I want to make a decision here. So he's going to leave it to King Agrippa and, and others that will come later in the next couple chapters of the book of Acts. Now, here's the thing. Just read six scriptures that all mention the way. All six times that the way is used in this context, it's all in conflict with other religions. It's all in conflict with other beliefs. I want you to understand this morning that Christianity is exclusive. Jesus is the only way to God and the only way to get to heaven. But the amazing thing about Christianity and our faith is that it is inclusive and exclusive all at the same time. Now, if you think about it, all of the world religions are exclusive in some way. They all make a claim that you got to follow our way. But here's the interesting thing, what makes it different about Christianity. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And then we realize as we read Scripture, this is for everyone. Wait a minute. How can that be? How can it be that, that Jesus, as the Son of God, who says, I'm the only way, the true life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, yet all of you are welcome to come? Do you see how it's exclusive that it's only through Jesus, but it's inclusive at the same time? Because anyone can call upon his name. Anyone can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Anyone can choose to put their faith in him. That's what's awesome about Christianity. It's exclusive and it's inclusive at the same time. Jesus is the way out of religious confusion. There's nothing to be confused about. He is the only way you can get saved. He is the only way you can be restored to God. And then we get to the fifth thing. Jesus is the way to eternal life. Jesus is the way to eternal life. You see, death is inevitable for all of us. No one can escape it. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says this, Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, someday we are going to stand before God in judgment. Death is the doorway to eternal life and eternal consequences. And it's your choice. You can choose eternal life or you can choose eternal consequences. You know, this is why there is such an urgency to accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord. Because we have to get it right now. We have to get it right in this life. We have to get it right in this world. And no one's guaranteed another breath. No one's guaranteed another moment in their life. You can walk out of here today and have something tragic happen to yourself or one of your family members or to a dear friend and someone you love. And if they didn't make the decision to get it right with Jesus now, they are lost forever, even into eternity. Jesus is the way. And there should be this urgency to call him Savior and Lord. Jesus is the only way to have hope of eternal life in heaven with God. As we close the message this morning, I, I want to I end where we began this morning. Luke chapter 9, 18 through 20. Jesus stands before those disciples, and he says, who do the crowd say that I am? And he gets, he gets some answers, but then he says, who do you, who do you say that I am? It's one of the most important questions they'll ever ask. I mean, what are they going to do with Jesus? 
Are they going to believe in him? Are they going to put their faith in him? Are they going to love him and accept him? And I want you to imagine this morning, Jesus stands before us this morning now, and he asks us the same potent question. And he does it because he is the one that separates darkness from light. The cross of Calvary is the one that pushed back the darkness and gave us hope. And Jesus stands before you this morning and says, who do you say that I am? And for some of us, if Jesus really asks us that literally, we give him some different answers. Some of us would say, well, Jesus, you're a good teacher. I mean, I've read the scripture. You're a great teacher. But you can be a good teacher and not claim to be the son of God. Some of you would say, well, Jesus, you are a good example. You are a really good example. But my mom taught me that good examples, they don't hang out with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. And yet, that's who we find Jesus always hanging out with in scripture. Some of you say, Jesus, you're, you're, you're like a madman, but Jesus didn't speak as, as a madman. Some would say, well, you were just a crazed fanatic. You're just a crazed fanatic, but a crazed fanatic doesn't draw children to himself. And he doesn't draw men of intellect like the Apostle Paul, Dr. Luke. Some of us would say, oh, Jesus, well, you're just, you're just like a phantom. That's, that's really what you are. You were like a phantom, but phantoms, they can't give their flesh and blood to be crucified. Some of us would say, you know what, I don't, I don't know that I accept this. It's, it, you know, it just kind of felt like a religious phony to me. But I'm telling you what, phonies don't rise from the dead. And some of us would say, you know what, Christianity and all this, it's just a myth. It's just a myth. It's just some stories that have been passed down. But I want to challenge your thinking in that. Because I don't think myths set the calendar for all of human history. Jesus absolutely was alive. The Bible's not the only source in the world that tells us that. There are extra biblical resources and manuscripts and things written and from contemporaries at that time that tell us Jesus was alive, he was absolutely alive, and he absolutely did some awesome, mysterious, and mighty things. And it just comes back to the question. As Jesus stands before you this morning, you, you get to make the choice. Who do you say that I am? If you're in a place this morning where you can't honestly answer him and say, you are my Savior and my Lord, you're my God, I put all my faith in you, I believe in you, I call upon your name, save me from my life of sin. If you're not there this morning, I want you to know it's one of the most important questions you'll ever answer in your life, and your eternal destination depends on your answer. And you can walk out of here this morning and still choose to go your own way and to go the way of the world. And at some point, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to hit rock bottom. You're going to get in some kind of trouble. Life's going to be ugly. You're going to hate your life. And at some point, when you do that, and if you came to me and if I was being just sarcastic and wanted to rub it in your face, say, How that's work? how's that working for you? I'm here to tell you this morning, those of us that are already saved, those of us that already believe, those of us that already call upon the name of Jesus Christ, have tasted forgiveness and have chosen the way, we can tell you life is much better on the other side of our salvation because we choose to follow the way, the truth, and the life. And I know in a room this size, there are several in here 
that you need to answer that question this morning. And my hope and my prayer is that you wouldn't let another moment pass without knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. So what we're going to do now is we're going to stand. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to sing a song. And during that song, we invite you to respond. Uh, I'm going to be over here by the decision room along with some elders, some decision guides. And we would love to pray with you, answer any question you have about Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to repent and turn your life back to him. Maybe you're coming to him for the first time. But I want to invite you to come. So let's stand together and let's pray and then let's sing.